Welcome to all those tuning in to June Southwest Climate Podcast. It's Tuesday, June 17th, a couple days after the official beginning of the monsoon season. I'm here with uh, Dr. Mike Crimmins, as always. Mike, it's been uh, it's been a few months since we've actually do, ha- have done this. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. We do. Yeah, climate took a break. I'm glad glad everything <laughs> slowed down for the last couple of months so we didn't have to talk well, about well, anything. It was the quiet time. I mean, it was, it was it, just yeah. It was just getting hotter it and, was. and windy, yeah. uh, so it was, it was a good time to take a break. But now we actually have quite a bit to talk about, with, uh, and we'll cover El Nino and Enso as well as the monsoon, because that's probably what's on everybody's, everybody's mind. Um, first, before doing that, I, I feel like it's probably worth um, discussing the conditions uh, that we're uh, moving into um, with regard to precipitation. So. In the last six months or so, as many people know, it's been dry. It has More been or dry. Less. Yeah. Uh, for most of the region, just looking at uh, a map here, from mid-December through uh, mid-June, most of the region has been, uh, and nearly all of Arizona has been less than 50% of average. Mm-hmm. So that is, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, the fourth consecutive winter in which we had below average precipitation. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and so, of course, we've experienced some escalation or, or worsening of, of drought conditions. Uh, we sort of rolled into the winter in Arizona with about, oh, 84% of the state with uh, severe drought or worse. Um, and that has, oh, no, I'm, I'm reading the wrong statistics. So it was uh, when we rolled into the winter with about 37, 38 with severe drought or worse, we're now at about 85%. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, we have a few places, uh, particularly in northeast uh, Arizona, with extreme drought and a little bit of exceptional drought, which is the worst drought um, that you can classify an area with, and that's according to the U.S. Drought Monitor. Uh, so we have about 30% with extreme drought. Uh, we started the winter um, basically in early November with about, with about 3%. So we're sort of rolling in again to uh, a, a winter se- or a summer season in which we need some a good a good monsoon, and we were sort of given that last year, if I remember correctly. Yeah, except at my house. I don't know. <clears throat> I'm not sure what happened. I don't know what I did wrong, but um, yeah, it was an amazing monsoon. Across we had some record-setting total precipitation. Um, Flagstaff, I think it was their wettest summer in record, if not one or two. Douglas was the same thing. We had just epic, epic rainfall across much of the state, but. Um, Tucson proper, and I think Phoenix proper too, when you get right downtown, um, those areas didn't do well, and there's some middle parts of the state that actually kind of missed out on the monsoon precip as well. That's right. I remember the sort of the mantra last year was that it, it was raining in places where people weren't living. That's right. We had the we had the per capita monsoon index, right? And I can't remember how we... We, gotta, we, we have to develop we, that. We do. We need, I think we're going to be rich. We'll see how that works that out. Right? But before getting into the monsoon, uh, I do want to uh, sort of go back and talk a little bit about the last couple of months in, in El Nino. But I, before getting into that, let's talk a little bit about temperature because if, if I'm remembering correctly, I left um, in late May and it was a cool May. Yeah. It was mild. Yes. It, 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 um, I came back and summer happened. Summer happened. Yeah. It, it's turned on in a heartbeat. Yeah. We, if you look at the, the last um, couple months of uh, temperature here, it was evening out um, coming out of April and May, and then boom, we hit summer um, with the vengeance. That ridge of high pressure sort of pushed in here from the south, and we've had some pretty impressive uh, runs of um, near record of record temperatures across Arizona and New Mexico the last couple of weeks. 
Yeah, so the last two weeks, it's been on the order of four, four to eight degrees Fahrenheit ab yeah. uh, above average average temperatures here in, in, in parts of southern southern Arizona and New Mexico, for that matter. And okay. it looks like most of the, you know, you go California, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico have all um, been very, very warm under, underneath that ridge of uh, high pressure for the last couple of weeks. And it's probably also worth mentioning that um, fire season has uh, been above average. And we're, I think we're at close to the average acreage burned for the entire year, and we're sort of halfway through the, the fire season in Arizona. So that is somewhat expected given that it was dry conditions uh, to begin with, and there was a, a, a lot of drought, and people had forecasted uh, above uh, average fire risk for, for this season. New Mexico, on the other hand, has been, been below average. It's been less, been less active there. Um, okay, so that's a little bit of the, of the conditions, but I think the topic that is on most people's minds now is, is El Nino, and we've heard a lot about El Nino, um, and we've heard a lot about it in comparison to past, really big past events. So Mike, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Why don't you just give us a sort of a, the, the state of El Nino as of, as of right now? Well, I've been telling everybody that um, it, for El Nino to really happen in the way that we need it to um, bring um, some wet conditions here next winter is the atmosphere in the ocean have to go on a date and it has to be a really good date. And right now, the atmosphere, I'm sorry, the ocean has showed up. It's dressed for the party. It's ready to go. We've got sea surface temperatures across the eastern Pacific that are very, very warm. Um, and that's extending out to the international date line. But the atmosphere has paid very little attention to the sea surface temperature pattern. And so what you need to really have happen is you need the atmosphere to couple with the ocean and reinforce that pattern. And that's where you'll have it um, at least um, maybe strengthen a little bit, at least sustain itself um, into next fall and next winter that would give us that potential to have wet conditions um, that hold disruption of the jet stream to bring the winter systems down here to the southwest. It's, it's worth noting that El Nino would be a welcome, uh, a welcome occurrence given that it tends to bring uh, above average precipitation to Arizona and parts of New Mexico and Southern California for that matter. It's not a slam dunk. It's not a slam And I think that I have been um, completely guilty of the wish casting with this particular event. We, you know, there were signs and hints of an El Nino developing all the way back to last November. Um, there was a couple of signs in the Pacific. There was a little bit of warming. Um, there was this really impressive wave of warm water that traversed across the, the whole equatorial Pacific that made it all the way to the South American coast between January and March into April. And at that point, it was really, really impressive. And um, the analogies to 97, 98, 82, 83, the big, big El Nino events of the past were, were being dragged out. And I was, I was very, very intrigued at that point. And um, so far, the only similarities have been in the sea surface temperature patterns. And interesting enough, the atmosphere has been kind of ignoring what's been going on in the sea surface temperature patterns. So that's what's been unusual to see this, this um, market warming and not have the atmosphere sort of show up and, and join together with, with the ocean and make this thing go. So what, so what's, what's causing that? I mean, why, I'm not why sure. aren't they coupling? I don't know. I, and, it, you know, it just I, I think some, I'm not sure. I, I mean, it doesn't, you know, sea surface temperature pattern-wise, it doesn't, it looks similar to 9798, but we haven't seen the, um, some of the atmospheric patterns that would, that would give you um, that coupling. And I think that that is, that's the real big question is, um, and I think that, you know, there's some hesitation to, to call this a slam dunk, and there still should be real hesitation to call this a slam dunk, even though we've got some pretty, pretty um, bullish forecasts going forward here. 
um, we're kind of at make it or break it time with this particular event. These El Ninos really lock in with the atmosphere. So the you know these um, ocean and atmosphere communicating with each other and both you know giving energy and disrupting the weather patterns. It's got to really lock in by the end of July. So we got a couple of weeks here to get our get our act together. Yeah, if you look at uh, the IRI, the International Research Institute for Climate and Society, and the Climate Prediction Center, they do a joint forecast, and they've been calling for the chances of of El Nino occurring uh, sometime in the summer and early fall uh, for over sixty percent. Now it's over over seventy and close to close to eighty percent. So they are still quite bullish on that. But it does seem like the talk has. Um, dampened, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's because there was real expectation with, with all of this warm water that the atmosphere would start to pay attention and lock in um, a month ago, even six weeks ago, and that didn't happen. So I think that that's where we're all kind of waiting around to, to see that signal um, really come together. So does it, does it even matter if we're at a moderate or a strong or a weak that's the real key question for um, the forecast going forward, um, both for the monsoon and the fall and next winter is strength matters. Um, you know, we, we talk about El Nino as it being sort of binary, but it really does have um, an intensity associated with it. So moderate events to strong events, and that's um, a measure of how warm the water is in certain parts of the Pacific Ocean, um, matter to how much energy they're going to give to the atmosphere and how disruptive they're going to be to the jet stream pattern um, into the fall and into the winter. And so weak events, typically, they don't do much as far as um, the disruption. So we can actually have dry El Nino winters here in the southwest um, as with weak events as well as um, wet ones. But then that becomes just by chance of just weather kind of running through the, the winter season. So, we're, you know, we're all – and, again, I'm, I'm a huge fan of – a drought-busting El Nino event at this point, but we really need at least a high and moderate event, if not a strong one, to, to really bank on something for next winter. But the difficulty with that is, of course, as you get to stronger events, you have less and less actual events to, yeah. to look at the statistics. So we're absolutely the you know, 97, 98, are, uh, and 82, 83 are the sort of really big ones. There's you know, that's a, a not, not a high number of... No, we have a lot of science left to do on, on these events. Yeah, when you're, you're talking about trying to use analogs as sort of guided to the past, 82, 83, and 97, 98, and the observed record with, you know, decent records. You know, we've got to have satellite observations. We've got sensors across the Pacific. We don't have a whole lot of events measured that compare to this one. So, you know, I, I kind of feel like it could go in any direction um, over the next couple of months, which is, you know, I, I thought we'd be more certain by this time of the year, but I, I feel like we're a li- even a little less certain. But we seem to be on sort of a brink of of, of that coupling that you mentioned before. Yeah, there is absolutely. this sort of forecast for a Madden-Julian oscillation, which tends to spark um, convection and, and tends to sort of reinforce uh, an El Nino. That's right. So, yeah, this little pulse of convection that will come across on the easterlies, um, you know, originating the Indian Ocean and traversing across um, the West Pacific and in the East Pacific um, in the next two to four weeks – Suggests that you're going to start to see what we call westerly wind bursts along the equator um, in the Pacific Ocean, that that could be enough of a, a catalyst to really lock in the atmosphere, weaken the, weaken the easterlies, and, and reinforce the warming that's been going on in the central and eastern Pacific. But again, I mean, we're kind of at make it or break it with so this, this thing going forward. So this is make it forward. or break it. For, I kind of think that so. that doesn't occur, I think the coupling, right. I mean, up. Some of the models are suggesting even a little bit of cooling going forward in the next couple of months. So there seems to be growing uncertainty as we go forward. 
I think the forecasts of an El Nino event are still solid, but again, we're now looking at anything from a borderline El Nino event, very weak, all the way to, I mean, a strong one is still still in the works, but it becomes a diminishing um, you know, chance of that occurring with not real strong coupling going forward. So is there sort of, are there any unique characteristics of the current conditions in the, in the Pacific Ocean this year that, are, are there unique situations? I, I, I think making a no sort of yeah I mean there's there's analog. very there's very warm water across the entire Pacific basin so you see warm water all the way in over in the West Pacific you see it in the East Pacific you see it in the North Pacific it's at, there's warm water everywhere and I wonder if that is that's part of the issue of um, a, a kind of a muddied signal right here um, you know again the, there's this whole idea that the North Pacific is actually warmer than average than it has been which would be related to the Pacific Decadal Oscillation Index which is um, wandered into positive territory, which we haven't seen very much in the last 10 years. It, it has, and it will do this occasionally, get warm up there, and the PDO will trend um, towards positive or, or warm conditions, um, which if you look, take the long view, and again, our understanding of Pacific decadal oscillation is not very good, um, you can have um, decade-long wet conditions when the PDO in El Nino seem to sort of cooperate with each other. Again, this is, I'm not suggesting that at all, that there's been any sort of shift in there, but there's some unusual sort of patterns and signatures across the Pacific Ocean that make me think there's maybe some surprises in the works. It's all warm, or there's a lot of anomalously warm. uh, Warmer than average. Warmer than average. Warmer than, I'm not saying you'd want to go, you know, skinny dipping in the North Pacific at this point, but but it is warmer (laughs) than average at this point. But that sort of, playing into this idea or, uh, that the atmosphere isn't responding because if you have warm everywhere you're not setting up the, the the temperature and pressure gradients that can really uh, cause the easterlies to be ramped up and to push that water which is which is much warmer close to the the coast of, of Ecuador and Peru push that warm water um, westward so you're not getting that sort of reinforcing that's going on is that is that partially what's I, going on? I, I think it's part of it. And again, I think there's going to be real interesting science to sort of diagnose um, how well the forecasts have done over the last couple of months. I mean, again, I'm thinking about sort of post-mortem on this event in the next couple of years with the modeling. Like we were looking at the Southern Oscillation Index, which is going to be this um, atmospheric pressure seesaw across the Pacific Basin. You don't see that um, seesaw that we and normally see. That's a measure of the strength. Measure the strength, but it would be the measure of the atmosphere responding to the event. And that would be where the, the thunderstorm activity across the Pacific is actually moving from where it should be normally um, in the West Pacific to the Central Pacific and towards the Eastern Pacific, which is where you'd see the Southern Oscillation Index. So an indicator of that um, coupling. And the sea surface temperature patterns look really good, and they're continuing to get warmer, but the atmosphere really does need. You start to need the thunderstorms to flare up in the Central Pacific to sort of weaken um, the flow, the easterlies, basically, what we, the Walker circulation, which is the sort of technical conceptual model of how um, the flow occurs across the equatorial Pacific. So regardless of the atmospheric response, and it seems to be lagging a bit here than one would, would expect, um, the above average sea surface temperatures across much of the, of the basin um, is driving uh, a forecast for above average hurricane, tropical uh, uh, Eastern Pacific. East Pacific yes. hurricane activity is is above average. Yeah, yep, and that and that and that's consistent with. Again, it's very interesting to watch all this unfold because our our forecasts, um, seasonal forecasts have its their strongest 
capacity or capability to have um, useful information in them when we have El Nino events mm -hmm. or La Nina events. When you know, again, the whole planet organizes around El Nino and La Nina events, and through multiple seasons. So you can get this really interesting. You you can have information in times when you normally don't. You know, like you can come into a hurricane season when there's no. Um, El Nino or La Nina, you have to look at other much weaker signals. But now we've got an El, we have this the signature of an. I mean, I can't say we don't even have an El Nino yet because we haven't crossed the brink of the official um, sea surface temperature pattern for the number of months. It certainly is El Nino-ish, I guess, if you want to be not technical about it. But that warm water is in place. That would then um, uh, create better than average conditions for East Pacific tropical storms and hurricane activity, which is what the forecast was, and that is verifying in spades right now. There have been amazing hurricanes. Um, two, two, two. Two Category 4, right? Two Category 4, with um, some indications that both of them went to Category 5 that just weren't observed as far as some of the surface, um, near-surface winds at, at near the eye. And the earliest... Category the earliest four, Category 4 in, uh, the, in May. Yeah, yep. in May. And the, there's a... There's a um, an index, and I, I'm not sure if I'm going to get the acronym right. Just look it up for me and send us send us email if we get this one wrong. But it's ACE, it's National Hurricane Center. It's um, posted a tweet about the, I think it's the Accumulated Cyclone Energy Index. And so this is a, a, a nice way of, of um, looking at the total energy of storms. Um, and the East Pacific have, has blown away um, all records that have been kept in the East Pacific since 1971. So it's not only that there have been, um, it's been busy, it's been amazing, beautiful, well-defined, extremely destructive hurricanes, fortunately have all wandered back out to sea, continue, continually forming off the Mexican coast. The, the problem with that clearly is that um, these won't all wander out to sea. Um, and we've already had a couple of them, tropical depressions, tropical storms actually make it uh, and crossed on land in Mexico and create some some pretty um, epic flooding, but that leaves the whole Southwest in Mexico pretty vulnerable for um, that kind of activity, which we don't we don't normally see in in, uh, in any given year. So we'll get into that, okay. I think, because that flows into the monsoon and the upcoming summer quite nicely. But uh, just to recap, and so we talked some about the uncertainty, but I think many people would be very surprised if. And El Nino didn't actually transpire. So I think. As I would be too. Yeah. yeah. So the question is um, I mean, while there is a chance, um, if you look at the, the dynamical and statistical models, I think all of them except for one, and there's, you know, 20 or 30 of these, are forecasting at least above, um, uh, are forecasting an, uh, an El Nino or neutral condition. That's um, right. Yeah, it could be. I think that it's going to happen. It's just it's a really a question of intensity now, and it's not. It's even a question of can we get a moderate one out of the current conditions? Can that lock in and give us at least a moderate event? And remember, strength is everything down here. So, an El Nino that weakens to a borderline El Nino event by the end of the summer is not going to be a drought. It, it could be a drought buster for the Southwest in California, but it it we have so many different incarnations of weak El Nino events that give the Pacific Northwest wet conditions or us wet conditions that it's it, the confidence in our precip forecast for next um, winter becomes quite a bit lower. Right, and I said that wrong. I, I, the majority of the models are forecasting at least a weak El Nino right now, and, and probabilities are, are quite high. But, of course, the next couple of weeks, actually, with this MJO event that you talked about, 
um, will go a long way to determining. Yeah, where I, we there's are so many. Forward. There's and again, I'm not trying to be pessimistic by any means. I'm just trying to be realistic, and I think that's what's been going on over the last couple of months. There, there are so many unique, um, interesting conditions that are uh, emerging across the. I mean, this East Pacific warming is so early uh, and so strong that you'd that you you know you'd bet on something at least moderate intensity, and I still think that that's probably the most likely outcome, but. Um, we've got to have some other things come together right. in the next couple of weeks. So then, does this does this El Nino emerging El Nino event um, shape at all the upcoming summer? Most of us, you know, that are in this business, you know, have it in our head that Enso is predominantly a winter signal, just because Enso events tend to mature at that time. And so, right now, in in most cases. You don't have a real strong signal, right? But this year is at least stronger than it has been in in, in many of the past events. Yeah. So how how could this sort of combine with the nuances of the monsoon to um, to shape the monsoon? Yeah, I think it, so. Local research, um, you know, both for forecast offices and some researchers at University of Arizona and, and New Mexico. Um, if you look at past El Nino events, and if you just bin them up and you're not real careful about whether they're weak, strong, or moderate, and those kinds of things, you do see a slight shift in, um, at least in some Arizona stations in particular, um, having at least a later start to the monsoon, if not overall drier conditions with an El Nino event. Um, but that's a, it's a pretty weak signal. Mm. It's a slight shift towards drier conditions. Um, sometimes it's just a shift towards it starting a little bit later. Um, and it's not real clean and clear across the whole Southwest. I mean, I think in New Mexico, you don't have as much of a strong signal. I think in El Paso, it's not quite as clear. And again, um, for this year in particular, what's really interesting is that this El Nino in sea surface temperature patterns is probably going to be clear. Um, but the atmosphere hasn't really noticed that. So that, and again, it's all about the atmosphere for the disruption of these um, weather patterns. So, and I, some of the indications um, of why this El Nino impact on the monsoon occurs is that it tends to weaken and displace the subtropical ridge, which is that um, bulge of high pressure that comes up out of Mexico, which is absolutely critical. And, for that, and that high pressure really sort of creates the, 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 yes. the local flow. That you need to have, right, for us to have our, our very subtle wind shift, um, you know, from the southwest to the south to the southeast, you have to have that high pressure ridge building overhead and north of you, really. If it builds overhead, you end up fighting the warming um, middle atmosphere and the sinking air. So that's that can be problematic. Um, so it does seem to be, and again, the research, it's kind of a muddy signal and it's not t totally clear. And again, think about the, how the monsoon um, sort of plays out across the southwest. It's intense local storms that nail rain gauges. Um, it's a mix of tropical storms. It's a mix of, mix of easterly waves coming across from the Atlantic. So it's a, it's a pretty gnarly season to even deal with um, in its you know purest form. Throw an El Nino in there, and it does seem to lean us towards a little bit more drier conditions. But again, I don't think it's it's not going to I don't it's not going to mean that the monsoon's going to not show up by any means. And there's sort of inherent in that is sort of conflicting signals. I mean, if you have increased chances for tropical storm activity in the East Pacific, where a few of them or one of them does sort of waft into you know, inland. Yeah. Then you know we get a flare up of the monsoon. We get a lot more moisture, and you know, from that. So just by having chances of 
of tropical storms be higher, you know, yes. that sort of bodes a little bit well for, for, a- for the monsoon. Absolutely, and, and that's where I think that there's been a real struggle to, to try to make a forecast with this monsoon, because a lot of the dynamical models um, that you know are modeling the global climate, and we try to zoom in on them on the southwest, have been indicating for months now that there's uh, the models are suggesting that we're going to go um, fairly wet, fairly early, um, frequent and wet through the whole monsoon. And it, it seems to be picking up on just what you suggested, which was a busy East Pacific tropical storm, a lot of extra moisture very close to us that we can sort of tap into, and maybe even some just sort of recurving storms up through it. And again, these models can't pick up and they cannot forecast tropical storms, but it seems to be just sort of dealing with a whole lot of extra energy and moisture um, fairly close to the southwest, maybe was giving them some, sort of a wet signal um, July, August, and September. Um, but again, you, you counter that with our historical statistical models that suggest that that weakened monsoon ridge maybe is you know dampens down the activity. So we've got some conflicting signals. So I do think we're we're in for kind of an interesting summer. But it seems like just in the last week or so that we've had some of the ingredients already for, for a monsoon. I mean, it's not quite there, and I'm talking about the moisture, but if you think about the, the monsoon, there's at least three ingredients that, that ingredients that you need. You need you need there to be moisture. Yeah. You need there to be some you know atmospheric convective instability mm-hmm. to sort of move air um, upwards where it's where it's cooler and, and that moisture can can fall out. And then you need some some air, you need some steering flow aloft so that you can actually move the storms which tend to be focused around the topography because the topography helps create that dynamic uplift. You need the steering flow to move them off uh, off the mountains into the into the valley so you get widespread precipitation. So it seems like that at least one of those ingredients is influenced by the sea surface temperature pattern that we've that we've been observing already. Yeah, I mean we've we've already had um Tropical Storm Amanda in May, um, we had a nice stream of moisture come up off the East Pacific and gave us um, some high-based um, thunderstorms and some uh, sprinkles, Virga mostly, you know, rain not reaching the ground. So if you remember the, a cloudy day in, I think it was late May, it was actually, you know, decaying tropical storm moisture that sort of came up up over us. What's been going on the last couple of days here in, um, in Arizona in particular, and it's moving through into New Mexico now, is we actually have, these are, these are transition pattern. Um, so transition pattern um, weather systems are where you still have late winter storms intersecting with monsoon moisture to the south. So you get this at the beginning of the monsoon season and at the end of the monsoon season as the westerlies are still around. So this is what we, you know, we're, we're dragging in moisture from the south. The dew points are actually pretty high. Um, there's a chance of storms just east of Tucson today and through New Mexico. It's actually the still spring and summer battling it out, and it's not monsoonal in any way because that monsoon ridge is the subtropical ridge is actually being suppressed south. So it's this sort of chance of wintertime type storms intersecting with monsoon moisture. And it's not monsoon because the monsoon is all about the. F- where the flow of uh, yeah. where the winds are coming right, from. and again, we do not have the Indian monsoon. We have a 180 degree shift in the in the wind direction. We have a very subtle monsoony type, um, you know, shift from the southwest um, in sort of June, May and June. What happens in late June? We have predominantly southwest flow, and typically that's a that's a fetch that's dry mm. and cool coming off the Pacific the Ocean. Ocean. Yeah. Uh huh. And then once that shifts to the south and southeast, as the ridge comes overhead, then you know you get into um, a more 
subtropical air mass, and then that's what you get all those ingredients that you just mentioned. And so, and so south in Mexico, conditions are are, are flaring up right now for for the monsoon. Uh, I, as far as I know, I, I, it's been more tropical. It's, they've had tropical storms. They've had remnant lows. And, so there's and just moisture of, there, but it's... Yeah, yeah I mean, it, and it's really favorable upper-level conditions to that's sort of enhance that. going to the pump, too, It can, absolutely. It's going to put that moisture on the landscape. There's going to be higher evapotranspiration. It's, it's totally a way of jump-starting the monsoon. That's right. Yep. Uh-huh. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for... I'm rooting for, for I'm rooting, I know, and again, I think we're all so drought-weary here in the southwest, from you know, California to New Mexico, um, that, you know, we want a good monsoon, and we want um, a decent fall, which we have, you know, it's been 10, 15 years in Arizona. Drought's boring. Fall. Drought is boring, and it's, <laughs> it's getting old, and it's, it's, beaten, it's beating us up across the southwest. So, um, but again, I think we've got to be sort of drought-wise and know that um, y- there's an outside chance of a strong event and that this thing really does deliver. But again you can't nuke several years of drought with one good El Nino winter, right? I mean, and I think the chances of us moving into a pluvial, which is just a fancy way of saying a wet period, are still sort of an outside chance too. We'll so even with a good winter, take one season at a time. And, um, you know, the, the cutting edge of El Nino is that it, can, it cuts both ways in the sense it can bring a lot of drought relief, but it also can be extremely destructive mm. and has global consequences as far as famine and drought in other parts of the world. Well, that 97, 98 El Nino, the last really major strong El, El Nino event, um, did wreak havoc across globally. I mean, it Absolutely, yeah. It was a... I think you handed me a paper that called it the climate event of the century. It, I think in, a, in a, all accounts it was. I mean, just the wide-ranging effects and the destruction, I mean, the, the loss of life and the impact to the global economy, um, both agriculture and, and um So it is a, it is a double-edged It is a double-edged Yeah. Story. But so, before, before uh, wrapping this up, Mike, I want to go back to what you said uh, a minute ago when you were talking about the sort of CPC seasonal climate forecast. And they have actually gone out on a limb in my mind and uh, are forecasting sort of an above monsoon season, and it's notoriously difficult to forecast. It's very, that. very difficult, right? Yeah. And you were so you mentioned that maybe they're picking up on the sort of uh, elevated sea surface temperatures that may increase the frequency, and therefore the odds of a tropical storm sort of coming into the region. Right. Is is there anything else to say about that? I mean, any any thoughts you have on why they've why, they typically don't forecast the monsoon because there's so many things that go into it. We are on the fringes of the monsoon region, so you have a lot more influences uh, on it that can that can actually tip it one way or the other. Right. I think it. I think what a lot of the um, the guidance is coming from right now is the dynamical models, and they they have a couple of they have many, many models from different countries and different modeling centers that they'll, they'll take together and they'll, they'll put them into what they call multi-model ensembles where they um, come up with sort of mean um, results from the models. And so there's a national one of just, just domestic U.S. models, and then there's an international one. Both of those suites of models um, for months now, as I mentioned earlier, have been suggesting a wet July, August, September signal that extends from the Gulf of California up through um, Arizona, New Mexico, all the way up through the central um, Rockies. So that, I think, is their, their primary guidance. And again, it's um, a bunch of models coming up with some similar thing. So they're seeing something. And again, it's going to take diagnosing, you know, what ends up happening after this monsoon season, if it if it actually was something real or if it wasn't. But I mean, it, it that in its own right is, you know, we can have a, se- a little sense of optimism. And again, these El Ninos, they don't tend to kill, even with our historical analogs, they don't make it not rain ever 
during the monsoon. They tend to make it either a later start and maybe weaken overall um, or lessen overall precipitation totals throughout the season. So it, it will rain, and hopefully at my house this year too. Well, and you were mentioning, I mean, the, the if just looking at the statistics and the sort of uniqueness of this current event, I mean, there's not a lot in the past that we can draw on that can give us a, a, a good indication. I mean, we can't amalgamate all of the El Nino events at this time, but it's really many of those aren't a, aren't a good match. Exactly, and that, and that's where you know forecasting becomes a real art because you've you've got to put all your tools on the table and you've got to sort of you know objectively you know take a look at all of them. So, is the past a guide to the future? Absolutely. Is that going to be some some help of of sort of diagnosing what can happen this summer? Sure. Is it going to be the only definitive tool? No. You know these dynamical models have some utility, so it's going to be a, an issue of trying to. Um, tease out what they're trying to say. So you put them all together right now, and you've got a pretty mixed signal. Um, that's what you know makes me think I'm not totally sure we know how things are going to shake out this summer. Well, let's, uh, let's come back in a month, and let's have you bring, you've got all of these nice figures about that sort of score the monsoon for particular. Yeah, we can, we can take a look and see how things are shaping up. And I, I would say, um, you know, by the end of July, Gosh, I've been saying this for months now. I always say in the next 30 days, we'll know if El Nino is going to show up or not. And here we are 30 days later. So um, I got to think by the end of end of July, we're going to have a, a much better handle on, um, you know, what, what flavor of El Nino we're going to have. Great. Okay. Well, that was, uh, that was nice, Mike. Thanks again. Uh, and we'll come back uh, in a shorter, after a shorter break this time and, and talk more about the monsoon and and El Nino and other things climate for the Southwest. So thanks for everybody for tuning in.